Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you here today and welcome to those who are online as well. Uh, my name is Diane Lochner and I'm an elder here at this church. Um, about 20, 23, four years ago, I went back to, uh, to uh, school as a mature student. And uh, when I was there, I was challenged with these scriptures uh, that Larry uh, read. And as April uh, commented in her being challenged, if you ever want to be challenged, take a seminary course. It's actually wonderful. It's one of the greatest things, in my opinion. Uh, that you can do, and um, you will learn so much. So this, these scriptures stood out to me incredibly. Um, I chose this image of Habakkuk. It was written by uh, Jacques Tissot, who was a painter, uh, I believe in the late 1800s. And I think he captured Habakkuk at the beginning of Habakkuk so well. The anguish, like how do you feel when you look at that image, you know? The anguish and despair that he had. And like he was saying, oh God, what's happening? And that is what he was saying. So we'll look into the book of Habakkuk. I'm gonna do an overview of it. It's just a three chapter book, um, very interesting read. So Habakkuk wrote this book about 605 BC. And this was during the final years of the Southern Kingdom of Judah. And this was only about 20 years or so before the end of the Jewish nation. Politically, Judah was in a lot of trouble and did not seem to be aware of it. We know little of Habakkuk himself. He identified himself as Habakkuk the prophet, a term that seems to indicate he was a professional prophet, possibly trained in the law of Moses in a prophetic school. And this was an institution for educating prophets that cropped up after the days of Samuel. He also may have been a priest involved with the worship of God at the temple. The name Habakkuk, as Larry uh, mentioned, comes from the Hebrew verb embrace, probably meaning he who embraces or he who clings. It is appropriate because Habakkuk comes to a firm faith through grappling with tough issues, very tough issues, but he embraces and clings to his faith in the end. 
Normally in prophetic books, the normal method was for God to give the prophet a word, which was also known as an oracle. The prophet then wrote it down and delivered it to the people. But Habakkuk is different. He approaches God with a complaint. He was very troubled that God did nothing in response to the wickedness, the strife, and the oppression that was rampant in Judah. So just to give you kind of an overview, here's the basic outline of the book. It helps us put the, understand the book better. So his first complaint at the beginning is, why does the evil in Judah go unpunished? God answered and said the Babylonians will punish Judah. Uh, Larry had mentioned the Chaldeans. They're the same people, just different names. And then we have Habakkuk's second complaint, which is how can a just God use wicked Babylon to punish righteous people? And God answered, Babylon will be punished, will be punished, but faith will be rewarded. And then we have Habakkuk's ending prayer. In verses 3 to 15, he recalls a poetic celebration of God's mighty saving acts of old, perhaps one he had heard at the temple. And then the last verses that Larry read, complete confidence and trust in God. So let's begin with Habakkuk's prayer of, com or his complaint to God. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And in the next slide, we see Habakkuk in his anguish again. I just want you to realize how much anguish he was in. It was a lot. So then he continues with his complaint. Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And I'm wondering, does this sound familiar to us? At that time, lenders were charging high interest to keep poor people in debt. Slave owners were treating their slaves like animals if they didn't produce. The gods of power, money, and national security were worshiped in Judah. And Habakkuk complained to God. However, God's answer is completely unpredictable. He informs Habakkuk that he is raising up the Babylonians, who are ruthless, impetuous, feared, and dreaded people. They cared nothing for anyone, and they did whatever they wanted to. And this is the nation that was going to bring judgment on the Israelites. So God is using a very evil nation to destroy a less evil nation. And Habakkuk's reply is, really? And then he gives his second complaint. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment 
You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk questions God, who he sees as the Holy One, who is not even able to look on the evil of the Babylonians, much less make them, the wicked, to swallow up the righteous. How does this make any sense? And Habakkuk waits for an answer. He says, I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. And then God replies to Habakkuk, and this is what he says. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So he's telling him, write it down. Let people know. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he, that is the Babylonian, is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. God clearly answers that the more evil nation will destroy the less evil nation. And notice the contrast in verse 4 between the Babylonians and the righteous will live by his faith. And I'd like to read a commentary from the Asbury Bible commentary that describes God's reply. God's answer begins with a vision or a revelation which stresses the importance, the imminence, and the certainty of the events to be described. Then Yahweh agrees with Habakkuk that the Babylonians are a most wicked nation, consumed with pride and avarice. By contrast, God mentions the righteous individual who will live faithfully, literally, by his faithfulness. Hebrew, this is very interesting now. Hebrew has no abstract word for faith. And the meaning here is the temper which faith produces of endurance, steadfastness, and integrity. The righteous person will remain loyal in his commitments to God, regardless of the circumstances of his experience. And this one quote stood out to me, and I'd like to use an illustration in response to this quote. The temper which faith produces of endurance, steadfastness, and integrity. And I'd like to focus on temper um, in the next uh, slide, you will see an image of, this is a furnace, and this is steel being hardened and being tempered. My husband is a knife maker, 
and um, he hardens and tempers his own steel. He buys bar steel. If you watch the shows on TV, he doesn't make his knives like, um, like you see. Uh, those are Damascus knives and they have layers of steel. My husband buys bar steel and he has to harden and temper it before he can use it. And this is an incredible illustration of how of the temper of what was that? The temper which faith produces of endurance, steadfastness, and integrity. So I asked him how he does it. So he takes the bar of steel, he first of all he cuts it into the blade that he wants to use. And he has an oven, it's just like a small, it's not like an oven that you bake in, it's a, like a kiln, more like. And so he eats, heats the oven to 800, 1850 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 1010 centigrade. And it has to soak, it's called soaking, at that temperature for 30 to 60 minutes. And then he quenches it. So he takes the steel out of the oven, and quenching is done by rapidly cooling, rapidly cooling circulating air until the steel is cooled to the touch. So he puts a fan on it and cools it down. And what's kind of interesting here is that the quenching or sets the dissolved carbon in place so it can't go back into clumps. And when he buys the bar steel, it's iron with clumps of carbon in it. So the hardening dissolves the carbon and it goes into the whole steel. I don't understand it, but that's, <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> and there are three ways of quenching. You can quench by oil or water or air, depending on what the steel is designed for. So then, at this point in time, it then has to rest for two hours, and it is ultra-hard and very brittle and would shatter if it was dropped. Then he tempers it. And this makes the steel less hard, but more flexible and resilient and creates strength. Even to the point, I don't know if you know, but with some long swords, they can actually bend them. So that's because of the way the tempering is done. So what happens with that is the oven is heated to 850 degrees, a little bit cooler, or 454 centigrade, and soaked in the oven for two hours. It is then cooled off and tempered the second time. So it often tempering often needs to be done more than once to achieve the proper result. So once the steel is tempered, it has a flexible spring to it, and that's relative to the words, to the steel, that maintains a great deal of strength, and it is very resilient. But it gets through a lot to get there. I just thought this is an incredible illustration of the maturing of our faith in the believer's life. And I was reminded of Romans 5, 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. <laughs> 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Habakkuk was being tempered in this book. So back to God's reply to Habakkuk. Even though God will destroy Judah, the righteous will live by his faithfulness. That faithful faithfulness will be tempered in the dangers and difficulties of life. And I just want to add that that does not mean we treat each other disrespectfully. That does not include, that's not included in the dangers and difficulties of life. So the destruction of Judah was inevitable, and it did happen. In 604 BC and 597 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylonia removed the temple treasures. In 587, 586 BC, the temple was totally destroyed. In 586 and 582 BC, the Jews were deported to Babylonia, and the prophecy was fulfilled. And in those times of war, what the conquering nation would do was remove the citizens from their own land and take them to another land. And not everyone would be removed, but most everyone was, particularly those in decision-making and those in positions of power and control. There might be a few puppets left behind, but that was the way things were done. So the Babylonians took the Jewish people to their country. However, God was not finished with his judgments. Even though God used Babylon to bring justice to his own nation, God promised Habakkuk that he would judge Babylon. They brought judgment onto themselves by their values and their behaviors, their greed, their violence, and total disregard for God and other people. And this is his judgment to the Babylons. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. In 539 BC, the Persian king Cyrus the Great conquered Babylon, and it was never to be again. And it was a great, powerful nation, but it was uh, very ruthless. Habakkuk responds with a prayer, beginning with a request for God to again be merciful to Judah as he had to his people in the past. And this is his prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. And in the past, God had been merciful. But this time, not. 
So we don't want to put God in a box and say, you're always going to suffer and God won't forgive, but sometimes he's merciful, but sometimes he has bigger plans. And then Habakkuk remembers the many wondrous deeds that God has done, including the exodus from Egypt. Could he perhaps again remember mercy towards his own people? And as Habakkuk is remembering how powerful God truly is, he begins to see God in the magnitude of his power. And he responds, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. So physically, he felt that. And it could also be that he was thinking of what will happen in the future. It's not really clear, could be both. So Habakkuk's final three verses are an amazing contrast to the first three verses and are no less than astounding. So listen carefully again. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And I remember when I was, um, I think it was when I was taking Old Testament and this came up, I thought, I was just amazed at that type of faith. Uh, and I thought, that's what I want. I don't have it yet. <laughs> but I was amazed. I, I'm unbelievable that he can say that knowing he knew, like he was not ignorant to what was happening. And still he said that. No matter what, Habakkuk remembers God's faithfulness in his mighty acts and in the exodus from Egypt, and then proclaims his utter faithfulness, no matter what. And I would like to read uh, the Asbury Bible commentary on this section as well. The recitation of God's mighty acts has filled Habakkuk's heart with awe. After reviewing his majestic acts, works of the past, the prophet realizes that even God's judgments are merciful. So he calmly prepares himself for the coming disaster. The graphic tragedy described in verse 7 is equivalent to massive and total economic ruin in Judah, the loss of all agricultural produce. But in the midst of de desperate circumstances, Habakkuk finds joy and strength in God. He is mature enough to allow adversity to strengthen his trust and dependence on God. Not in spite of misfortune, but because of it, we should exult in the God of our salvation. 
when Habakkuk's worst fears became a reality, he himself becomes an illustration of the principle of faith mentioned in 2.4. Thus the prophecy began with questions and complaints ends in commitment and praise. No matter what, even though God initially appears silent, even though Judah is falling away, even though the violent Babylonians will destroy Judah, faithfulness is key. But the righteous will live by his faithfulness. And while I was preparing for this um, teaching, I noticed an Instagram post by our former pastor, Ryan. And he said on it, have you ever noticed that those who sing it is well with my soul the loudest are those who have suffered? Even though we live in a totally different world than Habakkuk did in terms of geography, economics, politics, society, clothes, food, everything. Much of our world is the same. He was living in his day, just as you and I live in our day. He was acutely aware of the world of his time, and it grieved his heart. How many of us sitting here and watching online are so aware of the world of our time, both our personal worlds and the larger world of the past two and a half years that has created such strife and violence. We too are grieving, and I fully believe that. Habakkuk's world was scary. He saw it and he wondered where God was, as do you and I today. Maybe I shouldn't speak for you, but um, I'm sure many of us do. It's not a sin to complain to God. God calls you and I to stand up straight in him and to be honest before him. This is how we grow in our faith. No matter what, Habakkuk proclaimed his faith in God. Figs, olives, crops, sheep, and cattle were staples at that time. Let yourself imagine this. And let us move now from 600 BC to 2022 AD. And then move now into your own personal relationship with God. What would be your complaint to God? It's okay to do that. Habakkuk did. What is your complaint to God? And I'd like to guide you in a prayer And I'll start it with, how long, O Lord, that verse. 
And then I'll leave a moment of quietness where you can complain to God. Voice your complaint to God. Be honest. So let us pray. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? And now, what is your complaint to God? Now remember, remember where God showed up in your life or in the lives of other people that you know. Remember. Now listen again to Habakkuk's final prayer. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And pay attention to what happens in your heart during this prayer time. What does it feel like in your heart? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we confess that we are not always faithful to you. And I pray, Lord, for each of our prayers this morning, prayers of perhaps deep despair, perhaps prayers of joy, perhaps both in the same prayer. And I lift these prayers up to you and I ask for your Holy Spirit to guide each one of us in whatever way you are calling us to be. For you are a great and mighty God and you are a good God. And we know, Lord, that you can take those difficult things in our lives and use them for our own spiritual growth and maturity 
to become more aware of our need for you, Lord God, our deep, deep heartfelt need for you. So we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for the many, 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 many things we can learn in your word. Give us a desire, a heart for your word. And please pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.